0: All right, stop what you're doing cuz I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you used to.
1: Chad, how's it going? I do know this one too, but I'm I'm not I can't think of the name. Well,
0: you think about it. This is Howell History. I'm Derek. I'm here <laughs> with Chad. We're we're bringing it back to some 90s music. We'll see if Chad can pull it out sometime during the episode. It's going to if he's ever delayed on a response, it's because he's trying to figure this one out without me giving him the answer.
1: No not, Googling. I, yeah, well, I'm not. You'll hear me <laughs> tapping away. Um, no, but I, I've already lost the lyric because I'm thinking so hard about the, <laughs> the name. Well, hey, Chad,
0: how's it going? Good, good. What's we, cracking? We, we've already lost the 20 people that are listening.
1: Yeah, with with your uh, harmonious vocals. I know, I'm so good.
0: That's why people tune in. If I, if I give it to them too early, apparently they're going to, they're going to drop us because they don't care about the Timberwolves talk. It's just the nineties music they're here I for. Know, you
1: should, maybe, maybe you should sandwich the Timberwolves talk with two songs. Do Ooh, like a, drop one at the end. Yeah. Do like, do like one from every decade of the wolves existence. So you could do like a nineties cause we're about yeah. like 80. It doesn't count. Be up to five songs now. Well, I yeah. could do one in and eight, eight, find a song from
0: 89. How many of those could there be?
1: There's a lot, man. Eighties were <laughs> so good. Hot. They were so hot. <laughs> Well, it's been two weeks
0: since we recorded an episode, and we are back. We're going to uh, kind of talk through today's press conference, where the Timberwolves basically recap their entire offseason. Uh, if you can't hear, my dog is going insane above me. Uh, so he's uh, causing all the commotion.
1: I think he's adding a rum. <laughs>
0: it's tearing something down. I don't know what's happening. Oh, hold on. I'm going to pause this and bring it back. Emily's got to be going crazy right now. I'll be right back. All right. <laughs> And I'm back. <laughs> we might have a Was dog it? for sale, so I'll let you know tomorrow.
1: <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> just got hyper? What? Yeah,
0: just lost it, lost all control, started jumping on everything and he he doesn't do it very well when I'm not around. He's I'm kind of his human, which makes it tough when I go places or he can't if he has oh. too much
1: energy when I'm not available. So most nice right? Bring him down and make him the third guest on the podcast.
0: There we go. I'll just the, the whole podcast will just me be being like, Harvey, stop. Harvey, let, let it drop it. Let it go. Stop. And then taking off my headphones to go like pull something out of his mouth. How old is he? Uh, he just turned one in July.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, because our dog just turned seven. Our Well, we have two, but Thor turned seven. And he used to be a little hyper. Not like that, but my dad would always say, oh, he'll grow out of it. I remember I'm saying it last year. I'm like, yep. Daddy, six. <laughs> <laughs> he like, Look. he's six. He's like 50. Yeah, I'm like uh, the last German Shepherd we had. She died at seven. Mm-hmm. So, I'm like, I'm hoping he, you know, yeah, lasts longer. But yeah, my first one, she, she seemed. I mean, I had her from like fourth grade until I started college, um, or no, until I graduated college. And so uh, she lasted forever. But the second one, she got cancer. Yeah. But uh, Thor, yeah, he's just. But he is pretty. Like he's so when Hayden goes to school every day, like we have a door coming through the garage and into the hall. And there's a laundry room in, in there uh, when you walk through, and he'll sit at the door of the laundry room waiting for Hayden to come home from the morning, from the okay. time I leave to bring him to school till the time I bring him home. When I leave to go pick him up, I have to step over the dog yeah. to go out the door because he won't like he's Hayden's his human, mm-hmm. you know, just obsessed with the kid. So it's, it's uh, they're the best though.
0: Yeah. some of us think so. <laughs> <laughs> the others not so much.
1: But yeah, not, not tonight anyway.
0: Yeah, not right. But this isn't a dog podcast, it's a wolf podcast, so uh, let's move forward. It was the press conference day for the Timberwolves to introduce all of their acquisitions from this offseason, except for their two-way players. So that meant uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Jordan McLaughlin, Patrick Beverly, Torian Prince, and the newly signed Leandro Balmero were all here today. They all took a little bit of time, answered a few questions for the media. Um, no no, too, no nuggets that were too, too big or too incredible, I wouldn't say. Nothing that really stood out in a way of... Uh, Team building or you know excitement heading into the season too much, but you know a couple a couple quotes each. So, Chad, did you get a chance to see the the interview interviews at all? I saw none of it.
1: So uh, you I'm were curious. working like a real adult. I was working. <laughs> I've been super busy this week, so it's like I everything's a whirlwind. I did to be honest. I saw tweets that Bomaro was signing, so I was excited just to like have something to talk about on right. here. <laughs> um, but I didn't get a chance to watch anything. So. Missed it all. The only thing I saw tonight was that, uh, that uh, Beverly threw out the first pitch at the Twins game. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that was pretty exciting. He started off the press conference today, um, so they got to ask him a few questions. They just kind of asked him, like, you know, what has Rhodes been? Because he's known Rosas and Finch for years now, as we've discussed. Um, and, you know, the main talking point that, he, that was pulled away from him was that, you know, he said he's never missed the playoffs in his career, and he doesn't plan on starting now. He fully expects the Wolves to be there this year, so little bit of a jeff teague 2.0 i
1: was just gonna say famous famously said by jeff teague as well which he you know lived up to it that first year but then uh yeah the second year
0: yeah. kind of fell apart
1: and i don't think we we got in on the back of jeff teague that first year either <laughs>
0: <laughs> he carried us <laughs> but uh yeah and then uh torian prince stepped in because he was the big acquisition for rookie rubio on draft night um he, you know, they asked him what position he likes to play. He said he's going to do whatever coach tells him. He doesn't really have a strong pre- preference. Uh, he said he's even played some small ball five in his career. And, you know, then they asked Coach, coach Finch about it because he was there as well. And he said, you know, kind of the three and the four are the same offensively in our system. But, it, you know, you are who you, you play what you can guard. So it'll just be dependent on, you know, what, what level he's able to step up with in the new defensive scheme that Elson Turner installs and whatever that ends up being. So I think it's still to be determined on him. Um, he did say in his like opening monologue that like Minnesota's always been a tough place to play so he's excited about being here to join the team and make it hard on opposing teams. I was like he's never like even watched a game here. I don't it's know what's happening. I know. If you're going <laughs> to lie,
1: at least make it a good lie. The, we, but we do know how big of a fan he is of KG. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason why he was wearing 21. Well, that
0: was Beverly, right?
1: Oh, yeah, you're talking about Prince. Yeah, that. yeah,
0: yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, that's yeah, uh, I don't know
1: what Prince is talking about then. <laughs> he apparently hasn't been in
0: the league long enough. He only remembers the COVID year where nobody was allowed in any stadium. So
1: I don't know. Or maybe he's talking about the Vikings.
0: You're right. Yeah. Good crowd it's in Minnesota. Yeah. yeah.
1: You guys got that school chant? That's, that's really tough.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. After him, I think, uh, J Mac stepped in. Um, you know, he kind of talked about how they asked him if now that he has security for two to three years, if it allows, you know, his mindset to change a little bit, since he's not fighting for a contract every year, he said, he's going to be the same guy coming with the same intensity. Cause he's still fighting for his kind of his NBA, career. And said he's going to take a lot of notes from Patrick Beverly while he's around. Cause he had to do the same thing. He, you know, spent some time in Europe, came over as a undrafted guy and kind of worked his way up. So hopefully he's planning on spending on pick or planning on picking his brain quite a bit. Um, and Vando, you know, was answered a, a few questions, um, nothing specifically, you know, interesting out of him, but they asked asked, asked Coach Finch about um, what it's like to have him back and if that was a goal, and he said absolutely. He's like, he's a guy that drives winning. All of the analytics that they have say that he's a guy that, you know, you need to have on your team, and they were worried that some of the smarter teams around the league would have some of those same numbers and sign him to a, a, a qualifying offer. So, I mean, I don't know about you, but the number that they brought him in at, you know, three years, $14 million or so, was good signing in my opinion it wasn't an an overspend like I thought Wancho was last year
1: both him and McLaughlin I think I texted you I'm like those are steals of contract I mean I thought you know regardless of what you think of either of those players you can't complain about the contract I mean even if you don't like them a warm body makes what they're making Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know I mean four
0: million for Vando and two million for McLaughlin essentially it's yeah nothing that's going to break the bank I mean they've made other decisions that are putting pushing us up against the luxury tax but it's not those two anymore
1: yeah no i thought those are f- phenomenal team friendly contracts for sure yeah. and van i think vando is the type of guy that if he was on a playoff team would be a guy that'd probably be earning closer to 10 million a year because then he'd be more widely mm-hmm. seen around the league of like what he brings to you know like everybody sits there i and i kind of i think people overdo it now about the well they gotta do it they gotta win games now you know this guy's gotta win games and it's like a basketball team is made up of more than one guy. There's not one guy. LeBron had a losing season his first year in L.A. LeBron freaking James had a losing season, you know. So I, it's not it's not the Michael Jordan era. And even then, Michael Jordan's team was loaded. It wasn't like Michael Jordan was out there doing it himself either. So I just – this notion of, uh, you know, guys just not being winners because they, they don't win mm-hmm. by themselves. You know, if Vanderbilt was on a playoff team, he'd be one of those guys. He'd be like the trendy – all the smart and you know basketball minds would be talking about how great of a player he is nationally. I think Oh he'd be
0: like Alex Caruso.
1: Who just yeah, got the think, full mid level in Chicago for his defensive yeah, presence. Right. I think it'd even be a step above what Caruso does. Only because he's a he's a bigger guy, right? Like so I, I and I agree Caruso's that you know and I think Caruso's is warranted as well. I just think when you're on a bad team but you're one of those types of players mm-hmm. you get overlooked, you know, by the yeah. I mean,
0: you know, the, the metrics are kind of similar, you know, Caruso was like rated as by some numbers as being like one of the top three defensive guards in the NBA, you know, and it was like, everybody looks at him like, you're not one of the top three defensive guards, but the numbers say you are. So maybe there's something here. And, you know, and it's the same thing with Vanderbilt. Like he was ranked in the 98th percentile and as a defensive big last year by, you know, by another number or whatever. So it's like, where you know how much faith do you put into that, and how you know how close do you think he is to that number actually? Because I think if we were to do it off the top of our heads, we wouldn't say he's a top ten defender in the NBA. No. You know, mm-hmm. but you know how close is he to that, and does he? You know, it's like all of the plus minus numbers, the lineup plus minus numbers on the Timberwolves. Like all the best lineups include Jared Vanderbilt. Like he's the
1: common thread across them. So, and and, and he, you know the reality is it's possible that both of them are the the top. Mm-hmm. You know, defenders at their positions, and it's just because defense is one of those things that's so reputation based that you know, like when guys slip a little bit, they still their reputation carries them into into that sort of top tier on the defense. Like, you know, I think Jimmy Butler is a still a really good defensive player, but I don't think he is what he once was. But most people still have him as being one of the top defensive players in the league. Yeah. I, I think he's, you know, I think he's lost a step from even his his days with the wolves now he was in the playoffs you know two years ago um he you know was terrific but he only had to do it for a short period of time I mean during, throughout the regular season I think he takes a lot of nights off he does I'm playing defense so um he's I don't I wouldn't put him in that same category if you're asking me to grade him out over the course of the season whereas guys like Vanderbilt and Crusoe, they're still young enough where every night they're still playing yep. with that hunger every single night so it's possible that that's why their rating is higher than it is because yeah you the rest of us know, like, if we're watching a game and you're watching a guy like Jimmy Butler, you know that he, when he turns it on, he's a better defender than Alex Caruso. But is he as consistent as Caruso? Because Jimmy Butler is also a veteran. He knows, hey, I could take a night off against the Wolves, or I could mm-hmm. take a night off against, you know, the Sacramento Kings or whatever. So, whereas you know Caruso and Vanderbilt are still playing for their their contracts, and so they're playing hard every single night, every single time they get on the court.
0: Yeah, you know, and especially when they're only playing twenty minutes a game, or up to this point, what Vando has been able to do, he's only played like a thousand total minutes in his career. So, um, we'll see if he can pull it back together and play an eighty-two game season next year, stay healthy to avoid some of the the foot problems that he's had in his career. But uh, I think we're both very excited to bring him back, especially with the fact that he's the only true power forward on the roster, and uh, he's probably in line for a starting spot unless they really try, you know, move McDaniel's up and get Beasley into the starting lineup. But he should get plenty of minutes either way. And, uh, and then finally, they closed out the press conference today with introducing Leandro Barmero. It was his first time in uh, in front of the Twin Cities media. He was with the team in Miami last week, but ch- kind of dipped out before any of the pictures were taken because he wasn't officially signed yet. So um, it's good to see him in town officially signed. I think we've all been it's rumored all been rumored all summer, and we've just been kind of waiting for the official announcement. So it was good to see him today. Um, what was his—
1: um- how, what was his personality what was the vibe on him in the press conference
0: uh his english was a little choppy i think he he speaks english well like he was able to answer the questions without too, an interpreter too much but um but i think he got a little nervous you know answered just being free form on it he was asked uh the last two questions of the day were asked in spanish and he got like you know super big smile like fist pumped as they were being asked in spanish because he got to answer them in spanish and then uh, but it was pretty cool because he was sitting next to Gers you know, Gerson and Rosas, and Rosas was able to translate for him and actually give the answer in English. Um, hmm. So the the relationship that they're building up a little bit because of that that bond was was pretty cool to see. Um, you know, it's just it's, it's interesting having him come over, especially in, in the same press conference as guys like Beverly and Vanderbilt, because they've they've been talking all summer whether it was with Blair as the defensive coordinator and now with Elson Turner, you know, in the roles that they want to have. Um, And the way they want to set up the defense, they've been talking all summer about how defense starts the minute the other team gets the rebound and they want to, you know, pressure full court, not every time, but, you know, defense starts immediately. They have to rebound better. They have to do to have better transition defense. And, you know, with Beverly's nickname being Mr. 94 feet and then with Vanderbilt having the reputation of somebody who gets up, you know, up into the offense immediately and always has that level of energy. And then Balmero being just known internationally now as a past and a aggressive defender throughout the whole course of the, The court it'll be interesting having you know three guys when we haven't had more than one in the past you know who are very aggressive defenders
1: yeah i mean that's one of my favorite traits about finch since he's come over is everything he prioritized this offseason has been on defense i Mm -hmm. mean you know i don't know that prince is going to be a stellar defender but based on what we got out of ricky last year he's probably at least a push you know just at a different position with what ricky gave you And then as you pointed out, you know, you you re-sign Vanderbilt, one of your better defenders. You bring in Beverly, one of the better defenders in the league. You bring you know Bomaro over who that's one of his strongest traits is Mm -hmm. his his defensive ability. Um, and then you know you you sort of champion the guys like Jade McDaniels in summer league, really give him a push to kind of you know increase his usage on offense so that he can even be more effective when he's on the court because he can play. I mean, he's, he's your best defender probably on the team right now. So, um, and then, you know, even other guys like Nathan Knight, I think that's, if, if he's not necessarily a strong defender, he's a shot blocking rim protector who will help the team defense, even if he's not a great individual defender, just because we don't have a lot of rim protecting yeah, he players. He can at least be a weak side defender. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, a, a kind of a Hassan white side type player that, um, you know, in terms of without the knucklehead mm-hmm. kind of goofy stuff that uh, uh, Whiteside had. But um, so I, all those moves kind of really play into improving the defense. And I, you know, I think rightfully so. Finch sees this offense doesn't really need any help. It doesn't need, you know, you can certainly tweak it and make it a little bit more efficient. And he was doing that over the course of the second half of the season since he took over. But I think everybody looking at this Wolves team, even the people who think that the Wolves are still a mess nationally, can look at it and say, offense won't be a problem for this team. This team can score on anyone. Right.
0: You know, I think it's um we didn't even mention Josh Akogi, who coming into last year was right was you know, had the reputation of being our best defender. So it's it'll be interesting to see if how many two way players they have, because that's always been the problem. Either they have defenders or they have offensive players and some right. of these guys need to step up and be and be good two way players. That's what we were hoping for when they uh, traded for Patrick Beverly. You know, we kind of talked about his three-point shooting, you know, his open catch-and-shoot three-point shooting, uh, his ability to play off the ball, as well as his defensive uh, intensity. You know, Jaden McDaniel stepping up this year and having a, a good way two-way presence, you know, as a off-ball, you know, secondary ball handler and open three-point shooter, as well as being one of the team's better defenders. And we'll just see what Balmero offers. I'm not sure how much he's, he's going to play this year. He's, You know, he's not a top three-point guard, so they're not going to use him in that role anymore. Um, and it'll just depend on if he can move ahead of guys like Jalen Noel or um, Josh Akogi and into the wing rotation to really get some burn. But uh, I think, you know, he signed as a first round pick, a middle first round pick. So he's going to come in with, you know, $2.5 million salary. And he's on the he's got a contract for the next four years. So he's part of the future. So if they're going to invest in anybody and give somebody minutes just to see how they can do, he's one of the big guys this year.
1: Yeah. And, you know, frankly, he's one of the guys I'm most looking forward to watching play, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact we don't have a lot of other new guys. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's sort of, you know, him and Beverly um, are the two that you kind of look forward to the most outside of our returning players. But I, you know, Bomaro's I'm intrigued. I mean, everything you read about, I, I I don't remember who it was that, like I saved the quote, but I didn't save who, who actually (laughs) said it, but he picked Bomaro as one of those guys that's going to overproduce at, as a rookie this year and um, kind of show that he should have been drafted much higher than he was actually picked. Um, there's somebody from ESPN. Yeah, I think I Mike Schmitz from ESPN was really high on him. I think that's who it was. Yeah. yeah no, I'd say that. So um, that's intriguing. You know, I mean, and I watched a little bit of him during the uh, Olympic games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and those are hard to gauge a lot because it's such a different style and the way that those other, te- you know, international teams, the way they sort of dole at their minutes is a little different than the way we're accustomed to here. Um, I remember when Ricky Rubio was still playing in Spain, you're like, can this guy even play in the NBA? Right. He's only getting like nine minutes a night over there. Like, how's he going to play over here? And that certainly wasn't an issue for him. Um, and obviously we've seen it with guys like Luca and stuff since then. But um, but when I saw him, like he does, he has a lot of energy. He's longer than you sort of expect. Um, you know, you, you could put out some nightmare lineups if all you wanted to do yeah. is just really get another team out of their rhythm you know you put in uh, Beverly and Okogi and Jaden and Bomaro and you know throw in Knight it doesn't right. really matter who the 5 is but and those you're going to give players headaches. now you don't have a lot uh, you put Vanderbilt at the 5 there you go yeah. Vanderbilt at the 5 but you don't have a lot of um, sort of outside of Beverly a lot of experience with the you know in the toughness and sort of the, the the moxie that you might encounter if you're playing a really good offensive team uh, but you're gonna. Those are the type of guys that are gonna frustrate and annoy yep. other players. Like you know, like the way Ricky would get under people's skin, and you're like, "Why? He's such a nice guy." You know? But it was because he he was trying so hard on defense that it would frustrate other star players who were like thought he was beneath them and that he shouldn't be playing so hard against them because he was just you know this new guy, especially um, on like I, a Tuesday night in January. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, Bumaro, I I I just not that I think he's you know, a, has a similar game to Ricky, but I, I think he's going to be like that. He's going to be like way Okogi was. Um, I think Okogi over the course of his time, he's he's sort of earned that reputation now where I do think some of the star players kind of recognize him as, well, he's a pretty, pretty good on defense. Like, yeah, we can bust his butt when he's got the ball in his hands. He's not going to be a threat, but yeah. um, on defense, you know, he's going to make us work for our, every basket we get. And um, so I think he's earned that, but he's not the talker that some of these other, you know, Beverly's going to, do all the talking for that unit. So, yep. um, but Bomaro will be the, he's the wild card, you know, like you said, who, who knows how many minutes he'll get. I mean, from the outside looking in right now, he's probably that uh 10th, 11th man right now. No, I think it'll be, it's, it's interesting. It's kind
0: of a parallel and not a great one, but I was listening to the most recent Zach Lowe podcast this morning and he was talking about the Warriors and just kind of how like they've got these three young guys now, you know, the Wiseman and Moody and, Kaminga and, is you know what happens to that team this year do they lean on them to the detriment of winning or do they kind of just relegate them and say you know what we're gonna we're trying to win everything again and clay's supposed to come back and if you guys prove that you can drive winning then you'll get minutes but we're not just gonna hand them to you you know it's yeah it was making me just think about you know the Balmero situation it's like it's it's so nice to have him be in a situation it's like yeah he was a mid first round pick but at the same time like he's so young and he's coming on a team where he's not expecting minutes immediately we've got the four years and nobody's like putting their hopes of the future on this guy so we don't have to force feed him minutes if he's not quite ready he can work his way up to it he can even spend some time in Iowa if you need him to and it's just kind of a you know I would love to see him love to get him some minutes but you know very much at the same level at like you know, Vanderbilt started last year where it was garbage time or we, you're going to be a, a bench guy
1: and if you can work your way like in. Jade, yeah, it might even be like, you know, Jaden started, nobody expected him to play. He was, um, And then, you know, you you get him in there for a couple minutes and you were like, oh, whoa, did you see that guy? I mean, right. I remember the first game where he got a couple of minutes. I mean, texting you like, whoa, where'd that come from? <laughs> he had like a block and you just swatted into the seventh row or something. And I'm like, man, give him some more minutes. Right. Like, give him all... You know, Okogie's minutes, because at that time, Okogie was really struggling. Um, Culver wasn't even really a thing, you know. But it, Bomaro might be like that. You know, and I think, like, the Warriors analogy... I mean, they're... You know, these two organizations, two different places, right? Like, yeah. if I'm the Warriors, you got three Hall of Fame caliber players. you got to see that through. Yeah. Re- regardless of how good these young guys are, I would either... If, if they can't, you know, um, deliver something... A value with to those other three to winning then you you probably move them for another veteran and you yeah. just kind of see this it's not like the wolves where you haven't none of these guys have really done much yet um I Bomaro, he's young but he's still he's older than and <laughs> you know he's so he's um not like he's outside of their window of developing so I think it'd be sooner rather than later that they get him in there in some sort of role, just because he's going to be part of the core. He's one of the few guys that they're giving, you know, he's got a four year deal. So yeah. he's one of the few guys that are, that have gotten more than one or two year deals on this, uh, you know, on this team outside of the, obviously the max guys. So yeah, he's, I signed, think,
0: he's signed for the longest on the team. Yeah, so,
1: yeah. So he's, you, you got to sort of give him that, that run. Now, I don't know, you know, unless they're just going to, Kind of pull a Rojas special, get them out there, you know, shine them up so that they can flip them as part of a bigger trade, you know, for a, a, a star at the deadline or something. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much of that is is just wishful thinking on Wolves fans' part, or if that's really something Rojas is contemplating. He seems to have cooled on that talk since he got here, right? Like ever yeah. since once we got Delo a lot of that talk has kind of gone away, and it's more about well, these guys just need to play and develop together. And I I don't necessarily think that's the wrong approach. Now, if, if the Ben Simmons thing comes back and it's, you know, something that we can pull off, I'm all for it. But you and I feels like we did a podcast last week because we talked all day (laughs) kind of debating back and forth on the Ben Simmons stuff. And I, you know, I'm as strongly opposed to giving up Jade McDaniels and any sort of deal for Simmons if it includes picks. Now, if we're not giving up any picks and it's Beasley, Beverly, and Jaden, then I might be able to be talking into it. But I'm not going to give up four first-round picks and Jaden McDaniels, forget whoever else is involved, because mm-hmm. that's already a hang-up-the-phone kind of thing for me because I feel that strongly in what Jaden McDaniels can be. Do I think he's going to be a ben, ben Simmons? No, but I, defensively, I think he can be. And he can shoot better than Ben Simmons. He won't be the distributor every year that Ben Simmons... And, you know. So I I don't he's he's kind of a poor man's Ben Simmons so like why would I give that up with a, all my other future assets for one guy so um, if Rosas approach is, is the same mm-hmm. where he's saying look I, I'm interested in Simmons if the price is right but I'm not going to give up my entire future because I think we have something here already I'm I'm cool with that because I I think we do have something yeah I think this is the deepest team we've had. Maybe ever. I mean, I'm trying to think of a t- time. You, you look at the ten, the the top ten players. You know, that your your five starters, and then your bench, whether that's Beasley or Jaden that's coming on uh, going on the bench, and you got Beverly, and you got, you know, um, whether it's Vanderbilt or uh, whoever plays those. You, you know, your Nas reads, whoever ends up your, as your your bench players, all five of those guys are better than. The five guys we had come off the bench as far back as I can remember. I'm right. thinking all the way back to four. When even when Wally was coming off the bench, I I still think this is a deeper bench.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we are very high on a lot of these players, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk through the roster. We're going to work our way up from the lowest salaried to the highest salaried, and we might break this into a two parter depending on how how long winded we get. Uh, but we want to talk about what what are our expectations. For the upcoming season since we are less than two weeks away from training camp as well as what does this like not only like what's the best case scenario but what does this player need to do in the upcoming season for us to consider it a success and i know there are lots of different ways that a a player can be successful and you know the number one way is we'll consider them all successful if a team wins 55 games but we're going to try to take the the team component out of it because we'll talk about that later and just as an individual where do we want to see them grow you know what if if there are any numbers that we'd like to to point to you know or just kind of general feelings about you know how their year went for us to consider like yeah this was a successful year for them we're gonna kind of walk through one one by one and, and see how that goes and hopefully we can put some things down and then come back to it and see you know kind of judge it at the end of the year so uh chad you ready to get started let's roll all right let's see the two lowest paid players on the team uh, our guys that got those Rosas specials—it's Jalen Noel and Nas Reed. Uh, let's start with uh, Jalen Noel. He's—I don't know what type of role he's going to have. He could have been probably the backup shooting guard, but that's going to be dependent on the the emergence of Balmero, uh and whether or not Okogie slides to that spot, uh, whether or not uh, Beasley starts or comes off the bench. If he's coming off the bench, then that pushes Noel down even farther on in the you know on the depth chart. So, um, what are you looking for out of Noel? How many minutes do you think he's going to get? And then uh, what? what role do you think he's going to play?
1: You know, I barring injuries, I think, you know, last year, his minutes were inflated somewhat because of Beasley and Delo missing a lot of time. Um, so I think his role minutes wise will probably be reduced. Mm-hmm. You know, we got Beverly now. And, um, so I would, ex- I would say, you know, I would expect somewhere in the 12 minutes per game sort of neighborhood for, for Jalen. Um, I don't know that I even—I would like to see him be a little bit more consistent would be my only thing. I don't really necessarily think he has to improve on one specific trait. I think he does everything pretty well. Yeah. Um, The biggest thing is he he does look for his shot early and often when he gets into games. And if he's not hitting, he can be a detriment to the team because Mm -hmm. he'll still keep looking for his shot. Um, I don't want to call him— He's like a poor man's Jamal Crawford. I don't think he's quite as single-mindedly focused as Jamal Crawford is when he gets into games. But Jamal Crawford's also a different level, right? He's a six-man-a-year kind of player, so yeah. that's his role. I don't. I, that's what I would be worried about with Jalen. I don't want him to develop into being just that, just instant offense, because I think we have other guys on this team that might become better versions of that. Um, whereas Jalen, I think does himself a disservice if all he does is focus on scoring because I think he does other things well for for his position. So I just want to see him become more consistent. You know, don't feel like you have to chuck up nine shots in your ten minutes that you're out there. You know, take the right shot and just kind of get other guys involved because I think this is a smart coaching staff. They will they will value that more than just points mm-hmm. and they will give him more opportunities if, if he just continues to do that. I think his role because he's flexible enough, he can kind of play, I mean, he can play point guard, he can play shooting guard, he can play a small ball three if they really need him to, if they wanted to roll out, you know, D'Lo, Beverly, and him um, in certain lineups, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not crazy about that, and I think we have plenty of other guys that could play the three um, in those situations, but if they had to, so he has the flexibility where I think he'll he'll find plenty of minutes on the court. Um, I think the, the biggest threat to that will be Bomaro's development.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess if I'm looking at him, I'd, I'd say that I'd love for him to kind of find his specialty area and perform well in his role. You know, it's when he comes on, you said he takes his nine shots in 10 minutes and it's from every spot on the floor. It's trying to get, you know, open threes or it's trying to take a guy off the dribble. It's pulling up from mid range. He's just kind of all over the place where it's like he's does, he doesn't he's specialize in any one specific area where it's like. He could have started his rookie year and his last year, and even now rolling into year three, and you've been like, you know what, I'm going to be this guy on the team. I'm going to fill this role. And then once I've filled that role and I'm an expert at it, then I'm going to add something else and move forward one step at a time. It feels like he started trying to do everything, especially on offense, to be the primary ball handler or to be the spot-up shooter, whatever it happened to be. And he hasn't really specialized in any one area. So um, whatever that ends up happening to be for him, if it's you know as a three-point shooter or as a you know, ball handler, and you know, even if it's the mid range, even if that is where his comfort zone is, and he needs to continue to work in that area and find other guys as he, you know, pulls the defense towards him, I'd like him to specialize a little bit more and kind of rein in his his shot selection. Uh, not because he can't make every type of shot, but just because I feel like if he tries to do everything, he's not going to be really great at anything. Um, so I, you know, if, and
1: if you had your preference, what would you want him to be? I mean, 3. I I think his
0: his peak you know at least what we're going to see out of him in this four-year contract especially with the the depth that we have at his position is going to be getting to the same type of reputation or the same type of value as a player that Malik Beasley got to in Denver so you know like he was just stuck behind Gary Harris and Monty Morris and he was never going to get the run there and that he especially that he wanted but he you know worked his way up to being offered a 10 million dollar a year contract from Denver before he left and if Uh, Noel hopes to get to that point too he's going to have to become either a better primary ball handler which is kind of what they had him do in summer league this year or a better three-point shooter I don't know if he's going to get to that he's not he's not good enough around the rim or you know and the mid-range is never efficient enough for him to really make money there so if he wants really wants to maximize his potential as a his earnings potential I guess after his four-year contract with the Timberwolves I think those are going to be, have to be the two ways that he does it.
1: Yeah, and I don't disagree. I would say if if he's focused on himself, what his in which he, I'm not saying that in a negative way. If he's focused on his next contract, I think the way to do that would be to get better at being a three and D guy. Um, just because I don't ever see him as a full time starter in this league,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's the direction the league's going in terms of who they pay. They're paying three and three and d guys and he has the ability and the talent to be that um you know and like we just both kind of said he he doesn't he tends to try to do everything um he's just kind of all over the place out there and so but if if he can just you know take the shots when they make sense to take the shots you know because when he gets hot like look out i mean he's hard to yeah you contend with um
0: I mean, so the, I, the peak for his model, you mentioned Jamal Crawford, but, the, you know, the peak where he could get to, at least in today's NBA, is Lou Williams. You know, he right. he and is a guy who Lou, doesn't I, specialize in any one area offensively on the floor, but he can do everything. And he's also a really good passer, too, though, when he's out there. So that's, you know, that's one I, of the two areas
1: that he could improve in. And I've always thought of Lou Williams as very similar to Jamal Crawford as well. Because Jamal Crawford, the, the Jamal Crawford, the Wolves had, he was mm-hmm. just a three-point volume shooter. Yep. Earlier in his career, he could do a little bit of everything. He was a, you know, pretty good passer. And, I mean, uh, I don't think he was ever a good defensive player, but um, he, you know, he he could score from all over the floor, um, and so that's why, yeah, I like that comparison too because I think all, all three of those guys are kind of same. They're all, I don't know where. I guess is Lou Williams from the Pacific Northwest as well? No, um, he's from Atlanta. Okay, yeah. So then, uh, but obviously, um, South Gwinnett Jamal, High School Jamal, baby. Yeah, <laughs> <Jamal> <laughs> and. Uh, no Wolf well, from the
0: same yeah same neighborhoods so i mean i think we're both kind of saying the same thing his his potential is as a a sixth man you know sixth man of the year type guy if he can really round out his game if he can strengthen his strengths and reduce some of his weaknesses i don't know if he's got the size or the defensive ability to ever really be a full-time starter as you were saying so uh, but you know at least for this upcoming year we'd both like to see some more potential or some more consistency in what he's doing and as well as kind of cutting out the things that make him less efficient and focusing on things that make him more efficient. So um, speaking of a guy that last year made some big strides, uh, let's talk about Nas Reed. What do we think is like, I don't know if we can hope for much more than we saw out of him last year, especially at a, as a backup center making less than $2 million a year. But what, what do you want to see out of him this year that would make you think that was a
1: successful season and the growth of Nas Reed? I mean, that's exactly what I'll say. It's just give us more of the same Nas. (laughs) Like I, I'm not gonna pick apart that guy's game. I mean, he was terrific for what he was. I mean, he's he's a guy that could start on a, on several NBA teams. I mean, he's got the talent. He's the the stretch five that lots of NBA teams are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess if I had to pick one thing that I wish he was a little bit better at, would be rebounding. Right. Um, and a so focus if, area for the team. Yeah, and and for himself. I mean, because if you if you're gonna be a big man. And you're not a a great rebounder. I mean, unless you're going to be a really good shot blocker like Brook Lopez, then you can get away with not being a great rebounder. Um, Nas doesn't really. Uh, uh, he's not a shot blocker to the level of Brook Lopez either because he's also like you know eight inches shorter. Um, but in terms of if if he could just improve his rebounding, I think it would go a long way to to his next contract, but it would also go a long way to helping the Wolves.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think. We have to hope that the the progression that he showed last year continues. That it is linear. That either he st- stays where he was or he continues to get better. Um, I mean, he you wouldn't think it's a huge jump, but he moved his three point percentage last year up from thirty three percent to thirty five percent. So he was right at league average in his th- in his three point shooting, which made him a legit stretch option. You know, taking and he
1: took took one more three a, a game. Yeah,
0: you know, he went from. Uh, where's my number he took 97 his rookie year and 174 last year so he almost doubled the total number of threes he took um he did play more than twice as many games but
1: but even uh, per game he was you yeah, know, he actually
0: sh- he took less per game last year than he did oh, the year before but yeah, um but yeah i mean so he took quite a few numbers but he's still only taken um 271 total threes in his career so you know hopefully at a minimum he's a 33% three point shooter that that's the baseline and he continues to grow from there it, because i think he needs that stretch portion of his game in order to really be the weapon that he can be if he if he doesn't have that then he's completely dependent on uh the pick and roll and and diving to the rim and i i think that's great he's really good at that especially with Jordan McLaughlin and that uh Iowa connection that they had built up um uh, but hopefully he can make that same connection with some of the other point guards that are going to be in the in the game more often whether that's Beverly or or Russell because um, I don't know if he ever really quite showed uh, the same chops you know the second half of the season once the steam team started getting rolling a little bit I don't know if the, we really did that on the back of the the Nas Reed pick and roll the same way that they he showed it quite a bit when we were losing in the first half of the season so um, if he can I think it's you know like a lot of guys if if what he did last year sticks around and it contributes to winning I think that'll be you know plenty good but I think you could say that for everybody if they just <laughs> if the team won more and they did what they did last year, we'd be very happy. So, right, that's kind of a cop yeah.
1: out. but the rebounding thing, I think, is a real trait he could work on. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, like I, I guess we just got done saying with Jalen, or I got done saying with Jalen that there's not one specific thing other than consistency that I wanted Jalen to focus on. Yeah, but I, I also hold Nas to a different level. I, I expect more out of Nas because Nas has shown us more. I think Nas is a better player than Jalen noel so for me if he just improved his rebounding that makes him from a the best backup center at his contract in the league Mm -hmm. to like a guy you worry about other teams coming after because he is that much more valuable if he could just get his rebounding up you know grab another two or three rebounds a game so he's up you know closer to like eight rebounds a game um in in similar minutes you know to, to other top backup centers. Then all of a sudden he becomes one of the top free agents in a couple of years when his contract's done. And that, that you know, you worry about losing them, but for him, that's what the, his goal is. Right. And I, I think he can easily do it. I mean, if he just comes in with the same attitude, he came in last season where he was jumping on the floor for every loose ball. He was just way more active than he was his rookie season. If he just focused that energy on rebounding, two or three boards a game isn't is nothing for that you know if that's the way he's gonna choose to use that energy
0: yeah you know per 36 minutes last year he uh he averaged uh just 8.6 rebounds so as a as a center if he's gonna be on the floor that often i think he's, he does need to work that way, that number up he's he's quite a bit behind you know guys like talons and even vanderbilt at you know ed davis last year was a kind of a rebounding machine for the minutes that he played but uh, he barely played any minutes so But yeah, Nas is right there with Wancho, you know, and if that's the level of rebounding that you're putting out on the floor, especially at the center position, it it needs to be better. So hopefully the the team focus on that area really helps him if if he can use his body, use his strength a little bit. Um, There was an interview uh, with Coach Finch earlier in the offseason when they were talking about Nas and he was kind of saying like, you know, these guys come in and they're able to do everything physically. They're so long, they're so strong that they don't ever need to work out before they get to the NBA, and then they, they realize they don't have any core strength. And that, that's kind of one of the issues with Nas. is like, they've got sure, they've got strength in their legs and their arms because they're big guys, but they don't have the core strength necessary to fight their way inside, to box out, to move around, and, and really just, you know, use their strength to the best of their advantage. So I think with each passing year, you know, he lost a ton of weight from year one to year two. Hopefully, he can start putting back on some strength and some muscle, especially in that core area, to really... Hold his own, and I think that's something we need from a lot of the Timberwolves front court players because we need them to be more aggressive and more physical.
1: Especially when Towns looks like he's
0: <laughs> slimmer, yeah, than,
1: and thinner. Although I mean, I think I think he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for his size, what I was to say is I think Towns is still strong. Like I, he, you know, the really big centers, the Stephen Adams, uh, Jor, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, those kind of guys, kind of, yeah. They and, give you know, him a tough, tough on, time. Yep. Yeah. But the MPs, I mean, cat fights hard with a guy like Joel Embiid, who's a lot bigger than him. You know, mm-hmm. I, so I don't think cats a pushover or I don't think he's weak. I think he is strong for his size. He's just smaller than those guys, yeah. you know, and so he's
0: not seven, three, like Embiid is
1: right. Or Jokic, or yeah. Alan tunis or Steven Adams. Who's like, you know, <laughs> the strongest guy in the league. So, um, yeah, you're going to, uh, what you do with those guys is you got to make them defend you at the arc. And yeah, make them pay on that end. Um, and I think Cat does that. So like, you know, if, if for Nas, he's in a similar boat. Cause he's, he's also a shorter center. You know, mm-hmm. he's not going to be as strong as some of those guys either. Um, so I think what he has to do is use his energy. I think he's got a little bit of that Vanderbilt in him where he's willing, you know, to dive and, and go after every loose ball and stuff. Um, but I think partially the way the wolves use him on offense, because, you know, like Vanderbilt, if he's out at the arc, you're like, What are you doing? Like, he has no business out there. Nas is a legit three point shooter, so you are pulling him away from the basket, which does make it harder for him to focus on rebounding. Particularly when he was playing a lot of those minutes when Cat wasn't on the floor, he was your only rebounder, yeah. so um, and you had him all at the three point line, so it didn't help you. So, you need hopefully with Cat being healthy and you can play them a little bit together, you can have one of those guys chase because Cat's one, you know, again, one of those guys that he's the best three point shooting big man of all time, but he's also still pulls down. Yeah. Good, good rebound numbers, you know? So that's unique, you know, for, I mean, we just got to talk about like Brooke Lopez, who also shoots a lot of threes. He doesn't rebound as well as a guy. He's never been a great rebounder. No.
0: I mean, we had Kevin love before cat. So like that one specific combination isn't like, isn't a differentiator between them. So, I mean, cat needs to keep, we'll talk about cat a lot later. I'm not going to dive into that. We'll figure it out. Um, Speaking of guys on the floor, like that's one thing I, I was gonna skip over and totally forgot about. But Nas needs to stop falling down; he needs to stay on his
1: feet. We have a lot of guys that need to stay on their feet. Yeah, Vanderbilt's another one. He goes down a lot too.
0: At least Which... Vanderbilt hustles back into the play immediately. Like Nas hits the deck on a, on a layup, trying to get it, scoop it up under somebody's arm, and he's in the yeah, third row. Right. The defense is back like at half court before he's even on his feet again.
1: Fair. I was. I guess I was thinking about it. They need to stay on their feet more, just so they're not hurt. Yeah. Like I don't want like the diving, and then okay, well now now I bruise my elbow and I'm out three games or something. You know, that's what I was more worried about. But yeah, that that too, like getting back into the play. So I I concede that Vanderbilt definitely is better at that than Nas. Mm-hmm.
0: So if not I, I think that was also brought up in the core strength thing. But if Nas can stop falling over on his layup attempts, I think that would help the transition defense that they're in, looking for. In,
1: Cat does it too, um, but I yeah. think now what and Cat do, sometimes they're going to the floor to try to get the ref's attention mm-hmm. that they think they were called. That that's got to stop. Even, yeah. That's the work part. You know, like I really hate that because now you're risking injury just to get a call for a free throw. Like, who cares? We need you on the floor. We don't need you shooting free throw. Like, if, yeah, if you don't get the free throw and you were job there, okay, big deal. We can live with it. But if, if you go down trying to get a fall call and now you're hurt and you're going to be out, A couple games now you screwed us for you know multiple Mm -hmm. games not just Mm -hmm. one so
0: i mean if you show a real skill for getting a whistle like if you can if anthony edwards comes out this year and starts proving that he can start getting seven eight free throws a game because he can manipulate his body in the air yeah whatever it happens to be just throw himself into somebody get the whistle and then flip the ball up like then you can start doing some of that stuff but if you like Cat's six years in now of not getting a whistle on those types of calls. Like, just stop. Just try to make the basket.
1: You know, In in a weird way, I think if he stopped doing that, he would get more calls. Because because he'd be more aggressive going through guys. Exactly. He'd be more aggressive going through. And the rest would be like, oh, look at that beating he's taking. Because they're going to actually see the impact rather than him rolling with the impact and going to the floor. Mm -hmm. He looks like a flopper. But if, if he's going through the impact and you're seeing his arms, you know, Trying to go, you know, like I just think optically it looks worse when they go to the floor because it, then the ref just automatically assumes it's a flop because yeah. so many guys in the league today flopped. So um, yeah, I just I wish Cat would just stop that. No, just, I agree.
0: Now it's two. So now it's two. All right, let's move on. Number twelve out of fourteen, Jordan McLaughlin. We talked about him a little bit earlier. I don't know if he's J Mac or if Jaden McDaniel's is J Mac or what we're rolling with with nicknames around what here. But McDaniel's
1: wants. It's yeah, his, I,
0: he gets the the first pick, but uh j mac jr uh what was uh crisscross what were the names that they used it was uh (laughs) they they were backwards pants man i don't know (laughs) or i don't know i'll look it up later it's marco and (laughs) yarich it was like mac daddy and daddy mac or something like that i I can't remember but hopefully hopefully we get to the point someday in our broadcast or podcasting history where uh, somebody actually corrects us on something on twitter we're like you got this wrong and then we'll know somebody listened
1: yeah, and if that's somebody's correcting us on a crisscross, you know, facts, I'm just done with this. <laughs> <laughs> that's what they That's what they cared that, about? That's not the listeners we want. <laughs> Come
0: on. Those aren't my people. <laughs> All right. Anyway, Jay, uh, Jordan McLaughlin, he's coming in back into the three-year contract, first two years guaranteed, uh, starting at $2 million, so he's, a, he's barely more than a minimum level contract but he will be our third point guard heading into this season and then i think the hope is that he performs well enough especially in the minutes that he's given or next to other point guards that we can rely on him as the primary backup point guard next year once beverly's contract expires
1: yeah i mean i it's he's another one like Nas. like what can you criticize from a guy making as little as he makes in the world he's in i there's not the, the, my one thing with Jordan McLaughlin, I I don't like it, and I don't think there's ever anything he can do about it. Is he does get pushed around a little bit, and I think it's just because he's small, right? Yeah. Like he's he's you know stupid fast, and he can uh, kind of beat guys that way. And I th- I love it, what he does on offense. I love his, his you know what he's trying to do on defense. He's just against some of those bigger guards. I think I guess going back to Noel in, in his role, I think when we see that on the court. I would hope that – now, you know, how many minutes is McLaughlin going to play behind a Beverly and a D-low? Because those guys – Beverly's going to be probably playing close to 30 minutes a game. So who knows if there's – how many how much more meat on the bone for the third point guard. Yeah. If there is uh, games where he's out there a significant amount and he starts getting kind of pushed around a little bit, that's when I would probably put Noel in at point just to match up the sides. Because that – there's so many times where you'd watch and you're like, McLaughlin's doing so many good things on offense – and he's trying really hard on defense, but he's just mismatched because he's so much smaller, you know, weight-wise than the other opposing point guards. So, um, and I don't think there's anything there you can ask him to do. That's not. It's like Isaiah Thomas at, at, in a different way. You know, yeah. Isaiah Thomas is just so much he can do on on defense because he's so much smaller than opposing point guards. Similar here with McLaughlin. So, in terms of his actual skill set, what he brings to the table. I mean, I, I like a little bit of everything he does. You know, he, you know, for a guy that doesn't play a lot, he, you know, he's getting you a steal. He's, he can get hot and it's, and get a lot of buckets for you in a short period of time. Um, he's even a decent rebounder for a guy at his size. Um, I, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to ask for more because the only thing you can ask for is, is be stronger. But even if he's stronger, I I don't know how much that buys him because Isaiah like Thomas is strong, but he's short. And yeah. that gets pushed on. Um, McLaughlin is got both things kind of working against him. He's not particularly tall, and he's also really skinny. Mm-hmm. And so it's just it's a it's a tough, um, a tough position that he put he is in on defense at the NBA level. And and you know he's got to beat people with speed, and so it's, it's kind of hard to do in a half court game. And you know if you're in a up tempo, you know, pushing the pace he can, he can pick off passes in the passing lanes and do those kinds of things. But if once you get into that half court guys, just back him down or, you know, throw a screen at him, He's getting knocked off that off, out of position pretty easily.
0: Yeah. I mean, if he's ever going to take a step forward into a true backup point guard role where it's like, you know, the campaigns of the world or, uh, I don't know who else. I mean, even what Caruso did in, in LA, but he started sometimes he was much bigger. He's more of a, a combo guard, but, um, he's going to have to improve a little bit as, as a defender, there, but there are lots of bad defensive back, backup point guards. I think what we're really going to need to look forward to from him, though, is finding his way back to being the shooter he was his rookie season. Because he was, I mean, he had a 49% field goal percentage with a 38% three-point percentage his rookie year in 30 games. And then, I mean, he dropped last year to a 41% field goal shooter and with a 36% three-point you know, shot. So, his true shooting percentage went down from 587 to 502. He was significantly below league average last year as a shooter. Um, and all of the other things he was doing were as good, if not better than the year before. He took a step forward as a passer. He was you know, a significant player in putting the team you know, in the right spots and moving forward and playing his role whenever he was on the floor. You know, Coach Finch even said that he likes having him on the floor with another point guard, and he played a lot next to Russell. He played a lot next to Rubio. So he's trusted. They like him. It's just a matter of can he find his way back to you know shooting the ball, especially around the basket, you know, the way that he did his his first year in the league. So um, yeah, and I, I don't
1: disagree. I mean, like if he's going to be a legit backup point guard in this league, yeah, where he's you know get, making Tyus Jones kind of money, yeah, he needs to be a forty two percent three point shooter, you know, somewhere in that range because that you, that you, that has to be your specialty. You have to just be a lights out shooter. Because he's never going to be the defender like a Patrick Beverly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so he's got to just be a lights-out three-point shooter because everything else you can get from other guys that can do more, right? Like you can get better assist guys who also are better defenders um, for cheaper, you know? So if yeah. if, that's, if if that's he wants to move up from number three to number two as a point guard, I mean, that is what he has to do. Yeah, I mean, even
0: even if he's stuck at, you know, the 36% three-point shot that he had last year, like— he's got to get his two-point shot back to where it was. I mean, it's like, that was at 57% his rookie year, and that dropped to 45% last year. You know, shots inside the three-point arc, he was making less than 45% of them. So, you know, he's got to figure out one of those two. He's either got to significantly improve as a shooter outside of the arc or inside the arc in order to actually be reliable as an offensive player.
1: Yeah, but for a guy that's 5'11", if you're taking the same amount of shots from inside the arc as you Mm -hmm. are from outside the arc, to me, I would just assume yeah improve your two-point percentage but i would much you're gonna be taking just as many shots of three so i would rather the focus be in the three-point shooting from a guy his size you know what i'm saying like, yeah if if
0: we're choosing picking and choosing i'd choose three-point shooting as well i just think if he's going to actually take that he's got to be one of the two he can be successful as a backup point guard if he's making 57 percent of his two-point shots you know it, at that point he's making the same rate that cat is you know, right. so it's. I, mean, how, how I don't real- think it's dependent. I don't think you can rely on that.
1: But. I get that's what I'm saying. How realistic is 57 percent shooting from two when you're five foot eleven and yeah. a buck eighty? <laughs> you know, like it's just. I just don't think that's a. Uh, again, I think his body fails him there because I just don't think that's a realistic goal to get when you're his size. I, it'd be so hard to be shooting, you know, mm-hmm. over 55 percent as a a guy his, as small as he is you know 3 point shooting you can you know he can, I mean he's got a little bit of that Steph Curry you know moving around without the ball on, on the arc he's not he doesn't move as much as Steph but he has the ability to do that cuz he is slender he can you know find a uh seam between two guys you know and get wide open and so if he's a you know better catch and shoot guy from 3 that might help his game as well but yeah
0: he's he's a reverse Nas cuz Nas went from 41% shooting to 52% shooting, you know, over the first two years of his career. And in the with inside the three-point arc, he went from 46% to 59.7%. So, like, it's almost exact opposite numbers for what the two of them did in their first two offensive years. And hopefully uh, McLaughlin can find his way back to the middle of that and approach that high number. And hopefully Nas doesn't take a step backwards.
1: Yeah, and I wonder where his... Um... You know what his health, like what his conditioning was when he came in, because you know, like guys like Ricky, came in out of shape. he yep. came out. Of shape. Jordan was another late addition back to the team last year, I believe, and so he might not have been really ever in game shape like he was his rookie year either. You know, so maybe that's part of the, the answer to why his numbers dipped a little. Uh, um, I guess I would <laughs> hope
0: that as a twenty-four year old, you know, undrafted free agent with one year on a two-way contract. You know he was coming in in shape because well, it's, he's there, got to fight and scrap for everything he can get. So,
1: but there's in shape, and then there's in game shape, and you can't really replicate the in game shape if you're not around the team because you're a late addition to the roster. Yeah. You're not, you're not in those scrimmages. You're not playing because you're staying away from the team. You're trying to negotiate your contract. You know what I mean? So you're not, you don't have that same conditioning, the same timing down that you have when you're, you know, in those practices. I think that's what happened with like Wancho and, and Ricky. It's not like. Ricky came in to camp last year, 20 pounds overweight. He he looked the same. He just wasn't in the same, you know, NBA conditioning. Yeah. It's just, you know, like these, all, all these guys could be freak athletes and it's like Harden's the reverse, right? He came in looking like Santa Claus and didn't play any worse. He was still really good. You're like, how can this guy still play at the level he's playing and be, you know, 35 pounds yeah. heavier than he was at the end of the season before, you know, it's just,
0: crazy those are the guys that are just so smart and you'll just never like we'll never understand what they do like with each individual like shift of their weight or turn of their foot that makes them successful in the nba like i'm just neither of us are coaches neither of us are scouts and we're never going to be able to see those types of things but they're you know i'm sure he's out there and it's like every little like muscle twitch is getting somebody leaning in a specific direction and he doesn't right. have to be you know
1: would you see that viral video that was on like bleacher Report or hoop type or one of those I don't know, social media accounts I follow. Mm-hmm. Did you see that today with James Harden? No. He was meeting with uh, some high school kids, and he was talking to them, and he asked the kid about, you know, what, what did you do today? And the kid's like, said something about, you know, he he was practicing hard all day. James Harden's like, practicing hard? You don't got to drop a sweat on you. If you're not drenched in sweat after yeah. practice for an hour and a half, you're not practicing the right way. You know, and he's like laying into these kids, but not in a jerky way, like not in a No, normal, yeah, but he's got to get you know, the message across, right? Yeah, he's like, hey, you want to be an NBA level player. Mm-hmm. This is what, this is how hard you have to practice. Like, you know, and I'm sure there's guys like a J.R. Smith, for example, who had a lot of physical talent and stuff coming out of high school, but probably was never a hard worker. Um, and that's why he didn't have the success you sort of expected him to do when he came to league Cause he had a lot of physical gifts and he became a solid rotational player later in his career, but he sort of squandered the first few years of his career he was almost out of the league because he was kind of a knucklehead. wasn't yeah. trying that hard. You know? Um, but James Harden, who, you know, wasn't like a, uh, you know, top prospect and stuff coming in. Like, he had to really work hard to get to where he's at. Um, I mean, he was a, a third or fourth fiddle even in OKC when he was there, as good as he was. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's it was sort of that Kobe. It kind of reminded me of Kobe. The way Kobe comes. I mean, Kobe was doing it to other NBA players. Yeah. I'm like that. But that, that's what it kind of came out on. But it, it's, it's worth the listen. It was, you know. And the kids were... They took it the right way. They were all nodding and listening. They weren't, like, rolling their eyes or, like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of folding. They were engaged and listening to them, so...
0: Well, it's just interesting. It's like anybody that's ever played pickup in their life knows what happens to your shot when you've been playing for 20 straight minutes. Like, it's not the same as it was when you were warming up before the game
1: started. And- yeah. If your shoulder's a little bit... Like, I, I know that's, you know... Yeah. A four-year-old dad playing my 13-year-old son, who did finally beat me once this summer... <laughs> Playing him, my arm hurts a little bit. My shots off, like yeah. the rest. Now all of a sudden, I'm like great. Now I can't just shoot from three to to you know keep the score out of reach from him or to catch back up. Yeah. Now I got to really work at it and like you know exhaust myself to and you know for I'm doing it in the backyard against a 13 year old. Mm-hmm. Eugene Harden's doing it against you know the the elite of the elite. So I mean, they've they've
0: done it so many times and at so many exhaustion levels that they know what every single shot feels like at any part of the game, at any part of the buzzer. It's like you know, it's like a professional prof, or professional golfer. It's like you see a guy and he's sitting on top of a sprinkler head, and it's like yeah, they can make that shot because they've had like they've spent so much time practicing and so much time playing that they've probably hit off a sprinkler head a hundred times, you know, or whatever it happens to be. They know what that shot feels like. Where it's like Tom like Brady. The beginning yeah.
1: of the training camp throwing that ball into the you know the football, the little wheels that spin to shoot the ball out. He would throw it and it would lodge itself in and then spit it back out to him. Like he could throw it from you know fifteen yards away. Yeah. And it, every single time right into that little hole that I mean the the ball doesn't even fit in that hole. Mm-hmm. It just like just the, the point does. And he, when he's you know firing that in there. It's that and then my other favorite thing to watch are like it's kind of like you know, the rotational NBA players. At like a YMCA, and well, Brian
0: Scalabrini does that stuff all the time. Scalabrini
1: right? yeah. was is one of the ones I was thinking of, and Caruso did it a couple times this did summer. He?
0: Okay,
1: but playing against guys at the YMCA who start chirping at him, yeah. thinking they could take them, and then you're seeing Scalabrini, who's like a five minute per game type of player when he was playing, is getting out there and schooling three guys yeah. at once, you know, by himself, who are in their twenties. Scalabrini's what early forties now. I mean, he's just. Toying with them, and you're like, yeah, that's there's levels to this game. Those guys, a couple of them might have played college ball. Yeah, it might, might be two, whatever. They look in good shape. I mean, a few years back, there was one. I want to say it was Jordan and Jeter on vacation together, okay. and they were like in the Bahamas or something. It was Jordan, maybe it was Jordan and Arod. Anyway, it was these young twenty-some-year-old guys challenge Jordan and fifty-year-old Jordan. Yeah, yeah, fifty-year-old Jordan to a game of yeah two on two or three on two or whatever. And Jordan, I mean the baseball player that was with, him did nothing. <laughs> Jordan's <laughs> just pointing at these guys by himself at fifty some years old and making them look like fools. You know, and you're like, well, I mean, obviously Jordan's the goat, goat of goats. But still, if, you know, you would think if I, I just when I was in college, I had uh, my roommate played basketball in high school and stuff, and he and I got in this big argument once because he's telling me I could score fourteen points on Kevin Garnett in a game. <laughs> like, there's zero chance yeah. you could score. I don't think you'll score a bucket on Kemmer Garnett in a game. And that same year was, there was a game where the nuggets were playing the wolves. Garnett comes out of the game. Kenyon Martin goes down and he scores like eight points in a row. And he's throat slashing to the mm-hmm. wolves back and flip, just looks down, nods to KG, KG comes in. Kenyon Martin didn't score the rest of the game. Yeah. <laughs> KG put him down. Kenyon Martin was one of the, he was the number one pick. I'm like, my roommate's name was, was Ryan. I'm like, Ryan, you are a better offensive player than Kenyon Martin? Yep. Are <laughs> you kidding? Like, you can't, you wouldn't score on Kevin Garnett if, if he wanted to, you know, defend you. I mean, it's just, there's there's levels to this and those levels get steeper and steeper when you're talking about the top tier, like the James Harden's, Kevin Garnett's of the world.
0: I was out to dinner with some friends once and I think the women's NCAA tournament was on in the background and one of them looked and, he, and he's probably 6'3". But, you know, he looked at the game and goes, how many points do you think you could score in this game? And I looked at him and went, Zero. I could score zero points in this game. He goes, no, we could we could score like 10 points. I was like, no, you could not. Neither of us could score in this game. I don't care if you have like two inches on most of them. Like, you are not good enough. I am not good By enough. The way,
1: you probably don't even have two, inch, two inches. Right, yeah, they're probably similar height to you, but. A different roommate, a, a couple of years later, a year later in college of mine, at, so I went to St. Cloud State, he was the trainer for the girls' basketball team. Mm-hmm. So, and I moved in mid-year into their apartment because I had, um, I had moved out of the dorms and, you know, mid-year, like couldn't find an apartment. So I had to move in with three strangers. And then my best friend, he moved in with three strangers and, uh, my guys turned out to be great. But, um, so my first night there, I'm moving stuff in. This girl comes in, you know, and she like pokes her head into the room and she's like, Hey, uh, we're making spaghetti. You want to join us for dinner? And I'm like, i'm like sure and i'm like looking around the wall to see what is she standing on <laughs> No, she's just one of the basketball players on the team yeah. you know she's just like six four and so what he was telling me and he he's a big guy i mean he you know he's going to school to be a physical trainer so he was working out every single day and he was you know, he's about six four and he goes my job is i have to go in and just push the girls around during practice mm-hmm. the coach wants me just to, to beat on him he goes I am so sore every single day from them beating the crap out of me. He goes, those girls are so freakishly strong. He goes, I lift weights every day. I mean, he's bigger than I am. And, you know, he was like, you know, and I, I mean, he was lifting every day. I mean, he was a big guy. You look at him, you're like, yeah, that guy is, he's pretty strong. And he's like, those girls would beat the crap out of me. And this was (laughs) St. Cloud State girls' basketball. This wasn't like the U or the Lynx. I mean, you know, I can't even imagine, like, going up like sylvia falls going you know trying to score on her i mean no. forget about it yeah it would be gross
0: yeah. we've we've gotten off on a little bit of a tangent but uh let's bring it back for one of your favorites uh Jaden mcdaniels so i want you to tell me two things chad i want you to tell me what is a good season or a successful season for him for the timberwolves perspective and what is a successful season from him for
1: your basketball card collection <laughs> <laughs> my basketball card collection doesn't really jive with my personal fans because if I really wanted his cards to go up in value, I'd probably want him to get traded for Ben Six. <laughs> Sixer players are worth more than uh, Timberwolves players. That so just kind of sucks, but it's the reality. Um, so I'm willing to sacrifice my basketball card collection to keep him on the team. You know, I, I just want him to get more minutes. I don't think there's... Again, you know, he could improve his three-point shooting a little bit. Um, I think he could improve his passing. Now, again, we're, we're talking... I already think he does these things better than a guy like Jalen Noel. Yeah. But your standards differ for each of these guys, yep. right? Like our standards and our expectations. For me, Jade McDaniel's is at his best if he like what his, what I see him becoming is an Andre Karolinko type player. Um, I, that's who I see him as in, in this league. Now Finch said something really interesting. This summer, it might be on Dane's interview with him. Mm-hmm. He, he said he reminds him a lot of Scottie Pippen. Which sound and even Finch said this this is gonna sound crazy and I'm not saying he's gonna be Scottie Pippen and a Hall of Fame player but he looks a lot like Scottie Pippen when you when you're just around him and I know he's taller than Scottie even you know Dane in that same interview was talking about I couldn't believe how tall he was he he might be the tallest guy on the team you know yeah. so that makes me feel like well he might be Andre Carolinko played power forward he's sort of a tweener played three and the four that also kind of reminds you of a young Kevin Garnett who came in rail thin as a small forward no KG was a lot broader. We have bigger shoulders so you could see that in three or four years he would be able to carry more weight than a guy like i don't think Jaden mcdaniel's will ever be built like kim garnett i think when he reaches his physical prime Jaden mcdaniel's would be built like a kevin durant you know where he's a little thinner mm-hmm. which is fine like he can totally obviously kevin durant's an mvp caliber player so you know why can't Jaden mcdaniel's but in terms of skills that i want to see him develop you know, I, I would like to see him become a little bit better passer, so you can use him more as sort of a point forward yep. in situations. Um, a little bit better three-point shooter. I already think he. I I like him better on defense than you do. I know you think he's good at defense. I already think he's a A-level defensive player because of his versatility. Number one, I think he can guard all five positions and do it more than competently. I think he's, you know, mm-hmm. he's a stopper. Like guys were surprised last year. Star players. They would get Jaden McDaniels. They're like, oh, look at this kid. Look, I got this rookie. I mean, I'm going to you know, bust him. And all of a sudden, like, they'd be trying to back him down. Much bigger, thicker players be trying to back him down. And all of a sudden, they just stop and turn around. Like, that's still the same guy, or they switch on me? Because they were shocked at how strong Jaden McDaniels actually was for how thin he was. Like, and I think that's partly he just knows how to you know, plant his feet in a way. So that he, I mean, he's using everything he's got physically in the right way. So that... Is part of the reason why I'm so bullish on him because I think he just intuitively understands his body. He understands what he's going to be good at. Um, you know, he seems to be hungry, like he's competitive. Like, I I think he'll want to be good. Now, will he want to be great? Does he have that Kevin Garnett gene? Does he have that Kobe Bryant gene where he's just going to be like nuts about the game of basketball? I don't know if he's got that. That's why I have him more as a an Andre Carolinko type player. Um, but that's nothing to sneeze at and. So those two things, if I had to pick two things, passing and his three-point shooting, just because, again, again, and I think three-point shooting is overrated um, because, you know, we're, we're talking about that with every player on the team, but that's because that's the way the league is. Yeah. In the way the league is today, everybody has to be able to shoot threes, and in order for him to get on the court, he has to be a competent three-point shooter or he just won't see the court regardless of how good he is at everything else. He'll, he'll become a Josh Kogi, a very good defensive player that is limited elsewhere. So I don't want him to be that. And he's shown like his shot looks good. Like it looks, you know, like it's, it looks more reliable when he catches a corner and he's wide open in the corner. And he catches the ball. You feel like it's going down. Like right. When Okogi catches it, you're like, Oh, this could be an air ball. Or <laughs> she just don't know. So he could be blindfolded and just throwing it at at the hoop. So, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at McDaniel's, I like I want him to improve as an offensive player. Obviously, I'd love to see him take a, a next step, especially in year two, um, whether it's as a secondary ball handler or just a shooter, whatever it happens to be. You know, if if he just has some highlight dunks throughout the year and he you know is more a little bit more aggressive, that could you know hold me over too. I guess I don't. I'm not as specific, but what I'd love to see this year is for the defensive talent that we see with the eye test to be matched up by the numbers so whether it's like the espn real plus minus or his you know basketball reference win defensive win shares or just his plus minus numbers you know in the different lineups that he plays i'd love to see to start seeing some real like quantitative you know effect that he has on the team you know and and the the team actually being better at defense when he's on the floor so you know i think we both agree oh, that you, oh, you oh, look what? The reverse of Vanderbilt. You right. Want. You know, so Vanderbilt has the numbers, you know. But, and his... but your eye
1: doesn't, you don't necessarily jive with it with your eye. You watch him, you're like, I don't, I mean, I know the numbers say he's the best defensive power forward in the league. I don't know if I agree with that. But Jaden, you're saying, well, when I watch him, he looks like the best mm-hmm. defensive small forward. He looks like
0: really him. good as a defender, but I don't, like the numbers just, whether it's what who he's playing with or the fact that he was playing power forward most of the year and... He didn't. He you know, wasn't able to stack up physically, or you know, when he slid down to be the point of attack defender, that mean a Kogi, means that Kogi has to slide up to the power forward, and the numbers, you know, the whole lineup just got screwed up. Whatever it happened to be, I'd love to see them put him in more more spots to be successful, so that he can actually build start building that defensive reputation that matches the talent. You know, if you look at you know the ESPN real plus minus, and no defensive number is perfect, but if you just rank it on defensive RPM. Like he was ranked as the 38th best defensive power forward last year. Do they year.
1: have splits on there for like pre,
0: post oh, All No, not on this one, not specifically. So like, I'm just curious,
1: like if that. I'm should... sure he improved throughout the year, but well, he has more minutes, you know. Yeah, throughout the year, but I'm just curious because, to be honest, I can't think of a game or even a, you know, a uh, stretch in a game where I was like, wow, he just he got he just got beat bad on that run like no
0: and he was pretty neutral at least in terms of their rating but like Vanderbilt ranked as like the 21st best power forward and that's not that's like cumulative it's not even like per 48 so right right. um if you know these guys that didn't play a ton of minutes you know they're getting knocked down a little bit so it's like and no stat is perfect but I would love to see like you want to talk about the Kirilinkos you want to talk about the the sean Marion's the guys whose reputation was built off of the like the numbers had to come first and then people started to realize like how good they actually were a marcus smart and what he does for boston it's like if he could start actually building up that reputation that way and people could look around and be like you know what this jaden mcdaniels kid is like he i think he could build on his defensive reputation easier than he could build on his offensive reputation at least to build up his value for, on the team and around the league
1: and, and I don't think he'll ever be a 20-point-per-game guy because yeah. I just don't think that's his mentality. You know, some guys are focused on getting buckets. Jalen um, Noel, one of them. Yeah. But Jaden McDaniels is a guy. That's why I like the, the Karolinko comparison, whereas Marion kind of became – Yeah, 20, you know, He, he, he was end. always yep. a good defensive player, you know, at the prime of his career. But he also was sort of focused on being that second or third scorer on the team. And Jaden will probably never be in that role, at least in Minnesota, um, as long as Cad and Dilo and Beasley or Ant and, and those guys are here. Mm-hmm. They're all going to be better scorers. But what what I see him being is, or see him doing is is blossoming because, so like you said, you, you want to see him get, uh, raise those numbers so that he gets that reputation. But I think he's already kind of has that reputation with coaches. I think that's why we hear, there was like 17 teams calling on his availability mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. offseason, um, so I think GMs and coaches saw enough to be like, "Yeah, that guy's good. He's really good, and he's going to be better." I think that comes first. I'm sure it was the same thing with Sean Marion and Andre Karolinko. Coaches and and GMs were like, "Yeah, that guy's really good. Can we get him?" You know, and I think that this year will be just a little bit more comfort level in the team, a yeah. little bit more continuity with the guys around them. You know, because. And I'm not, I'm not trashing the defensive numbers. The, the defensive numbers are what they are. And Like you said, no, none of them are perfect. I'm not going to argue with the numbers. But anybody that's watched him, I haven't heard anybody that's watched Jaden McDaniel's play say, I don't know where this defensive talk coming right. from. That guy was off on defense. Everybody to a number has looked at him and said, that guy's a really good defensive mm-hmm. player. So it's, a, it's just a degree of how good you think he is on defense, right? And, and what you value on defense. One of the things I value from a guy like him who who's I see is mostly a small forward is the ability to guard multiple positions because that guy's in the middle of your lineup. He can slide to the, all the way to the point guard or all the way to the center like Kevin Garnett did early in his career. And that that's so much more valuable than a, a four or five, right? Mm-hmm. Or a one, two. Like to me, a three that can slide all the way to the one or all the way to the five is I, I give them a couple more points on defense than I would, you know, a Beverly who might be a better one-on-one defender but he can only guard one position. You know, he might be able to guard some twos, but yeah, he's really, really good at guarding ones. Yep. He'd be awful at guarding threes, and he might be okay, competent at guarding twos. Whereas Jaden, I, I think, is really, really good at guarding one, two, three, four, and
0: five. Mm-hmm. I do hope they put him in a better position this year to defend the point of attack more often. Like. I, if I had to choose right now, I would say I prefer Vanderbilt starting at the floor four so that McDaniels can slide to the three and you bring Beasley off the bench. And I don't know what that will do with Beasley's morale or whatever, you know, whatever headaches that ends up causing. I know that there's probably more talent on the team if you start Beasley at the two, slide Edwards up to the three and use McDaniels at the four. But I think McDaniels, in order to be unleashed, really needs to be playing a small forward position and be on point of attack more often than defending guys in the post where he's less useful and you're trying to slide you know, Edwards up to the four on switches and whatever it happens to be. So.
1: so I think I agree. So what you're saying is you'd rather have Vanderbilt start at the four, meaning McDaniel starts at the three and Beasley goes to the bench. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Then I'm a hundred percent agree. And I think the way to convince Beasley of that is you're going to get a lot more shots playing with that, that group with Beverly mm-hmm. and Nas and who, you know, whatever that makeup is, than you are with Kat and D'Lo and ant. you're just not going to get the shots up with those three guys. Cause there's only so many balls that can go around. And I think you get Beasley to buy in on that. I mean, he got his contract, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know, you know if that'll be a problem for them or not. I think if I was Beasley, you know, you can Beasley could become that Lou Williams, right. Or he yeah. could become the, I mean, he's not a Ginobili type player, but he, you know, he could become that guy where he's like that super six man. Um, and I think it would actually probably do wonders for his reputation as well, because all of a sudden, like, you're not looking at him as such a hole on defense if he's not a starter. If mm-hmm. He's a bench player, and he's coming in and putting up 20 for you as a bench player. Then you're like, wow. Yeah, every every every, guy, every team needs a guy like that. Exactly. And, and if he's doing it between Patrick Beverly
0: and Josh Okogie, who are guarding the other, the two best guards on the other team, you know, it's a lot
1: better. Yeah. It's easy, because we'll cover him later. But while being a willing defender because Beasley, it's not like Beasley's lazy or just the efforts there, the efforts. I yeah. mean, he's busting his butt harder than anybody else on the team. He's the hardest worker on the team for sure. Yeah. at least last year's team, you know, maybe Beverly's a hard worker, but mm-hmm. last year's team, he was the hardest worker. He just, for just couldn't find the right position to be in for whatever, you know, no matter what he tried. So, you know, and hopefully, you know, the, the changes in the coaching staff will help him there as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I like I said, I can't be higher on a guy than I am on Jaden McDaniels. I'm almost as high on Jaden McDaniels as I am on Ant. And I was—I've you know, been high on Ant since before mm-hmm. the draft. We knew he was gonna be a Timberwolf. That was my guy. Uh, but and I love him. There, nothing's happened to Ant. It's just everything happened with Jaden. I didn't know anything about him going into the draft last year. I didn't know—I didn't know what to expect. We probably talked about it. I probably said something like, "Whatever you get from him is a bonus." Man, what a bonus that was because he was he was my I mean it's hard to say he surpassed what Ant did last year Mm -hmm. but he was he came out of nowhere like I expected Ant to be in the running for rookie of the year if not win it I didn't expect Jaden McDaniels to be a thing and he was not only a thing he was one of the brightest things on that roster
0: yeah we're very excited the two of us that McDaniels and uh Vanderbilt are both back on this roster this upcoming season because I know you got a ton of joy watching McDaniels. I did too. And Vanderbilt was one of the guys that I just love watching his style of basketball. And I think that's just going to be, especially in that forward position, the forward rotation is going to be a lot of fun well, bringing I, those guys back. Even, I mean, yes, we'd love for them to have brought in a, a bona fide power forward, but I love, you know, I love those two guys. I'm glad we get to see more of them this year.
1: And I, I forgot to mention, but one of my favorite things about Vanderbilt was how much he embraced trying to be like the Dennis Rodman. You yeah. Yeah up to the games wearing rodman t-shirts i mean i don't know he must have worn four or five different <laughs> rodman t-shirts before the games and i love that there's player that that he's he understands where his strengths and his weaknesses are and he's embracing it to the point that he's like yeah this is my hero this is who i'm gonna be i don't think he is a rodman but you know like he if that's what he wants if, if that's the guy he's gonna emulate perfect because that's his skill set could do that
0: yeah right no i agree well, we came in. We said this might end up being a two-parter. I think uh, we're going to turn this into a three-parter, Chad, because we're through, uh, we're through four guys, but we're going to close it on Jaden McDaniels, which, which is a high point, especially with uh, where he's at. Uh, we'll come back uh, in our next episode, whether that's uh, tomorrow or next week or two weeks from now, whenever we get back to you and blast out another episode with uh, Balmero, Jake Lehman, Josh Kogi, Jared Vandermilt, and uh, hopefully move into one or two of the starters, and we'll see how far we can get. But, uh, Chad, thanks for joining me. And uh, this was always fun as usual. I'm glad we're able to start talking about some real basketball here pretty soon. And Timberwolves training camp, less than two weeks away.
1: Oh, holy smokes. I didn't even realize I was only two weeks away. I know. It's uh, sneaking up on us here.
0: It is. That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, the the song from the beginning of the episode was The Humpty Dance, in case you never Uh figured that out.
1: (laughs) That's why. I, I wasn't even picturing him, but he just died. I know. That's a bummer. It's a bummer. Then Norm McDonald, man, the whole world's falling apart. Uh,
0: gotta go watch some Norm clips now.
1: Uh, I did a lot of that yesterday. Yeah, it's that's, true. That's why. Probably reason why I miss all the wolves. <laughs> Too busy today because all you did was watch Norm yesterday. I was still watching them today. I was yeah. saving them. I was sending them to people.
0: Yeah. All right, buddy. It's good to
1: talk to you. Yeah, you as well, man. Let's Take bring him back soon. All right. Bye. Peace. Bye.